You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back, and better than last week, we hope. Still the off season, still searching for NFL stories, but uh, the stories tend to write themselves. Uh, today, we will be uh, talking about some, uh, well, some extensions, some money out there, some quarterbacks uh, that are kind of next on the list, so to speak. Talk about some former and current Chiefs, and uh, yeah, not so positive on, on this note, but uh, anyway, we'll move on. We also have a guest during the show, and then we'll wrap up with our non-football football topic, the Euro 2020, still going on, reaching the knockout stage. Let's bring in our co-host, Alex Kaptoff. Alex, how are you? By the way, I feel uncomfortable with this Euro 2020. Technically, it is 2020, but we're playing it in 2021. I'm kind of uncomfortable with it. I still don't understand it. I mean, every commercial and every game is like, we're in Euro 2020, but officially we're in 2021. Same thing with the Olympics in August. I mean, Tokyo 2020, but we're having it in 2021. So I don't know. We got to kind of mix all it that, up. There's all that gear sitting in warehouses and at the stadiums that was printed 2020. That What were they going to do with it? I don't this know. Way, there's some consistency it? to it that that asterisk because I would imagine they'll play the Euro again in 2024, four years later. But this time it's three years later. So yeah, it just seems kind of a weird thing. It does seem weird. You know, again, maybe it's not that relevant. I understand that the merchandise is there. It's, it's all about the money, man. I, I realize that. It's it's huge right <laughs> now, and I get it. In 12 cities, and we've never had that before. By the way, in three years, the Euro is going to be in Germany, 2024. Will it be in Munich, or uh, will it be in Berlin, I think they're, they're gonna or the finals, hold, the semifinals? So they're going to hold in, like, apparently, like, eight different cities. So right. they're going to continue this. I mean, they're going to have it like in Berlin. They're going to have it in Munich. They're going to have it in Stuttgart. Uh, they're going to have it in Dortmund. So they're going to involve all the huge stadiums that are that are out there. By the way, I've been to Berlin, and I went to the stadium, and the team wasn't very good back then. Sat in the stands. It was cold as hell because it was in the fall. I was freezing, and the game ended like 0-0. So, real football weather, man. And real yeah. football score, you know, zero zero. <laughs> now were the players wearing long sleeves? They still wear shorts no matter what the weather is, but you know, were there some tough guys with just the short sleeves? No, this is Germany. Everybody's in short sleeves, you know, the shorts well, and the, the short that's sleeves. That's what I'm saying. Were they wearing short sleeves? Yeah. All of them were wearing it. It would be weird if it would be wearing some, you know, some warm hoodie or something underneath or a sweater. Yeah, they weren't doing that. I mean, the weather they was... They got the long sleeve shirts. And they held basketball players inside. They, they almost were wearing, like, long pants with those compression shorts or, or longer pants. Some guys, you can't even see, you can barely see any of their skin. Yeah, this was November and I think it was maybe like on the Celsius, it was maybe like plus football three, players, plus two. Baby. But these are football yeah. players, European football players. We're not talking about Spain here or Portugal. Tough guys. Tough guys, that's right. Real men. 
Speaking about money, we've got some real men. Three quarterbacks next to that. They're you know drafted, and I guess it was the 2018 draft. You got Baker, you got Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Basically in line for paydays. Looking at like the Browns, I'm guessing they're going to put this off as long as they possibly can. And I guess literally they could hold on to him through 2023 with a fifth-year option. And then if they really weren't sure, they can go franchise tag after that with Baker. It seems to me like Josh Allen, I mean, that decision's easy. Lamar, fairly easy. But I guess Baker's the one where you just have to wonder, are they really sold on this guy? Are they winning games because of him or in spite of him? What do you think? Well, you know where you and I stand on this. I mean, well, yeah. Baker Mayfield ceiling is Alex Smith. And we're not saying that's a bad quarterback. We're just saying he's more of a game manager. I'm glad that he cut all this crap out, that he played along. He was a team player. He didn't have, you know, this bravado that he had like the first two years. They got him in trouble in his second year with, with Freddie Kitchens. I'm glad that he became more of a team player. He understood his role. And, you know, he had a couple of really big games. He had a huge game against the, the Bengals. I mean, where he went, what, 22 out of 22? He had a huge game against the Ravens, like at the end of the season, when he had that, that game-winning drive, but then the Ravens were able to to walk down the field and kick a field goal. I mean, he had a good game against the Steelers in the playoffs. I guess the entire team did. I'm not a big fan of Baker, but Cleveland is winning. They won with him at quarterback, and he plays the most important position on the field. Apparently, there's a story out there, Lou, that Baker might get extended sooner than Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. The Cleveland Browns are working really hard on a big-time extension for him. Well, I mean, history has shown us that it it is better to sign these guys earlier than late, right? I mean, you're going to get, you know, I guess the air quote discount because the longer you wait, and you saw it with the Dak Prescott, that got pushed and pushed and pushed. And now, I don't know, you've got a guy that's a pretty good player. You know, he's put up some great statistics, but he's going to be chewing up a huge part of their salary cap, and they're nowhere near being able to be a contender. So Cleveland was one of the first front offices to really lean into the analytics and so forth. So I think that's kind of the route that they're going here, but it still doesn't look like they're completely sold on him. I think they're Probably looking for a team-friendly deal. Don't know if Baker's all about that. Yeah, that remains to be seen. But, like, again, I mean, Josh Allen, the Bill, this is a very well-run organization. They kind of built it the right way, so to speak, and they continue to build, and he's getting better. You would hope that they believe that these steps that he's taken and the improvement that he's making wasn't a fluke and it's going to continue maybe not at the the rate that he's that he has uh, improved over the last couple of years but you know he's kind of there to stay this guy is the real deal so I don't think there's any question there now what about Lamar because again they're kind of a run-centric team they're they're seeing that you know this is great during the regular season but in the playoffs you need to make some big plays I think this is a huge year for Lamar they've got him some new wide receivers I would think they're going to give him more shots early in games 
to kind of get comfortable throwing the ball downfield rather than waiting till the end of the game and then, okay, go ahead, Lamar, make a huge play. What are your thoughts on Lamar? Do you think this is a done deal, or do you think they're going to wait and see what happens this season? They have to extend him because this is a guy that has led them to the playoffs. This is a guy who has won the MVP for such a young player. I mean, he did it in his second year. So they have to extend him. I, I can't see how they move on from him, even if he struggles like next year. They got him a lot of weapons. I mean, they brought in Sammy Watkins. They've got Marquise Brown. They've got Mark Edwards. They drafted Rashad Bateman. So there's a lot more weapons on the football field than there were like last year. My only concern is not that he hasn't been as successful in the playoffs, because right now he does look like a, a really good regular season quarterback who hasn't delivered. But my concern is he's a running quarterback, and a running quarterback takes a lot more hits. He's a lot more exposed. He's not a big guy. I mean, Michael Vick didn't last that long in the NFL. I realize that he had some off-the-field issues, but still, you know that he wouldn't have had such a long career. We all see what Cam Newton's body has gone through. I just think Lamar Jackson is a guy that you don't want to extend for 10 years because I think his he might be there for the next five or seven years, give you good five or seven years, but then his body is going to break down. I think that's my concern with Lamar Jackson. He relies so much on his athleticism and his running ability, and eventually it's just it's going to catch up to him. Well, for years, I guess the big decisions were prior to changing the rules as far as rookie deals and how they're structured now, and they're not so cost prohibitive. But back in the day, that was you had to make that decision like before you even drafted the guy. At least now you've got a few years to kind of see if the guy can play, but you still now you're looking at, oh, it seems like whoever the next guy is, they get more money. So do you think any of these three guys are going to get more than Dak? I think Josh Allen absolutely is going to be in that neighborhood. I don't know about Lamar, and I certainly wouldn't give it to Baker. But I would say Josh Allen, he is at that cusp and that would be an investment that Buffalo should make. I think every quarterback gets more money nowadays when they sign that extension, you know, a year later. So I do think Josh Allen is in for a big payday, and I think he is going to be in Dak Prescott's territory, and I actually think that he's going to surpass it just because the number goes up and and we see these numbers just being absurd. We just had a little hiccup here with the COVID year because the cap went down, but I think you know, moving forward, you know, knock on wood, COVID will be behind us, and yeah, those numbers are just going to, Pat Mahomes' deal is just is, is going to look like a, a huge bargain for the Chiefs, but you know, at some point that's going to get redone. There's no way he plays that whole thing out the way it's, it's written. But Baker's out for sure. No, we're not giving it an extension. We're not giving him an extension, but the Cleveland Browns will give him an extension. <laughs> well, thanks for clarifying that. I really thought that we, I, I was going to have to come up with some change there, and uh, that really made, you know, puts my mind at ease. So, uh, Baker, good luck, man. You know, there's always more. Um, does he do Geico or progressive? Progressive. Plenty of progressive money out there. It's our pleasure now to be joined by now award-winning quarterback of the Alabama A&M Bulldogs, Aquil Glass. Aquil, how are you doing today? Doing good today. 
That's great. This just happened over the weekend, right? You're at the uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame proceedings, and you won the Offensive Player of the Year and also the Deacon Jones Award. What do those awards mean to you? You know, they're huge accomplishments to just be uh, honored with such an award and to be in the in the same list as such great players is, is a huge honor to me. But uh, it just shows our team's success this year. You know, my awards are solely based on the team. You know, we went undefeated, won the championship, we did everything that we were supposed to do. So it's reflected in the awards that I'm getting and my other teammates are getting. Now, it must have been so cool to be in that room. So many legends. I mean, it's a Hall of Fame ceremony on top of, you know, your particular awards. Who impressed you the most? Honestly, it was it was amazing. I was kind of starstruck. You know, it was people that you watched on TV or grew up hearing about or learned about. Uh, I got a chance to meet Doug Williams, talk with him a little bit. That was always just amazing, just to be the first championship-winning uh, black quarterback in the NFL and to have him not only speak high words of me, but to give me advice was just amazing. I was going to say, did he give you any advice? What Can you share that, or is it just between you and he? I mean, he basically just said, keep doing what I've been doing, keep leading my team, keep uh, keep the main thing the main thing, you know. Uh, another piece of advice I got from uh, oh, I got it from uh, Coach Totten, because Willie Totten, he was my quarterback coach my freshman year. He had told me, just continue to do you, you know, don't let anything change you, and just continue to do what you've always done. Now, he was a quarterback in Mississippi Valley State when Jerry Rice was there. So just for you know some of our listeners that may not go back that far, I mean, Willie Totten's a great name in the HBCU uh, annals. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. It was amazing. When did you start playing quarterback? Did your coach just notice that you had a strong arm? Were you always a quarterback? Give us the inside scoop. Growing up, I had... Started out at tight end and linebacker because, you know, back in Wee, you know, we had weight limits and stuff, so I was a little too heavy to carry the ball sometimes, so had to be a blocker and stuff. But once we went unlimited, I started playing when I was, I think, eight is when I started playing quarterback. Ever since then, I just fell in love with it. Tell us about your journey. You, you were obviously born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. But why did you choose to go all the way to Alabama A&M? My journey's been amazing. God has put me in the right places and where I needed to be consistently. But as far as my journey in choosing A&M, it was partially circumstantial, but partially because I loved the situation. I was originally committed to Florida International, and I committed to them my, the summer going into my senior year. And basically, coaching staff got basically wiped clean. They brought in a whole new coaching staff. I talked with them. Basically, a situation where I wasn't—I wasn't the type of quarterback that they were looking for for their offense. I just decided to take my time elsewhere, and Alabama A&M gave me an opportunity, and they gave me the best chance to play early, which was my big thing. I just wanted to get on the field as early as possible and get as much film as possible. So, if that coaching staff at FIU liked you, you would have been playing for Butch Davis, right? More than likely, yes. So, what was it about Alabama A&M? Uh, what was the main uh, reason why you decided to go there? Did you have a connection with the coaches? Yeah, the coaches, have, I have a direct connection with them before they had reached out to me. But, you know, after talking to them and after my visit, you know, everybody just felt like they were focused on getting me to where I wanted to go and getting me to play at the highest level possible. So I decided about that. And then as far as 
A&M as a whole, the campus was amazing, you know, just the whole campus environment, just the whole culture. It was amazing. Alex is talking about playing quarterback. I mean, they say, you know, arguably it's the most difficult position in team sports. Which of your characteristics give you the uh, the confidence that you can succeed at the next level? I feel like nothing can really phase me. My mentality, it's a matter of I never get too high up. I never get too far down. I always stay even keel. And no matter what happens, whether it be a big play or a bad play, you know, you always got to focus on the next play. So just my attitude, my demeanor when it comes to being on the field and controlling a ball game is honestly, I think, second to none. Okay. And then the, the physical attributes, I mean, you're a big guy, big, strong quarterback. As far as just the type of game that you play, who would you compare to? Honestly, I feel like when it comes to passing, you know, I feel like try and play like the greats, you know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, you know, Patrick Mahomes, but as far as, like, overall play style, I'd say more like maybe Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I'm not the fastest or fleet of feet, but I know how to move well in the pocket, you know, create enough time to get a ball off. And, you know, just being able to just take over a game the way he does. All right, well, speaking about taking over a game, you knew we had to talk about this game, the Jackson State game this past spring. Game was ends up fifty two to forty three. You win. It's on ESPN. Deion Sanders is coaching Jackson State on the sideline, and you just lit it up. Six touchdown passes, I believe. You ran for one. You know, again, given all that, what really stood out to you about that particular game? Just honestly, the opportunity to play football after a month of having games canceled and rescheduled. Prior to that game, we hadn't played since our opening game that season, which was like the beginning of February, I want to say, just for everybody to be able to get back out there and play again was amazing. But as far as the game goes, just the atmosphere and all the outside stuff really didn't affect us too much. But as far as like having Dion on the sidelines and things like that, you know, it did add a little bit more energy. But we were just focused on coming out and winning the football game, and we took care of the rest. What would you say is your biggest accomplishment in life so far? I'll probably say graduating college. What did you graduate in? Civil engineering. Are you continuing to uh, pursue masters at this point? Yep, I'm pursuing masters in the same field. Good for you. Obviously, you know football. You could play for just a certain amount of time, and obviously, you know there's there's a life after football. During the spring season, you kind of mentioned that you guys won the SWAC championship. Tell us about that magical run. You guys went undefeated. It was the first time you captured the the SWAC title since like 2006. So it's been a long, long time. Tell us about this weird, crazy spring season. That's one way to explain it. It was weird. It was crazy. You know, from not knowing where we're going to play next to all the weeks off to all the practices without a game at the end of the week. It was a little wild, but, you know, we saw it through. We had a goal in mind, and we were all focused and energized enough to get that done. So it was just amazing to be able to bring a championship back to Huntsville. And I think the more exciting part is that everybody's ready and eager to get back at it and win another one. Well, you also have been a captain since your sophomore season. What does that mean to you, just being recognized? And what is your leadership style? It means a lot to me, you know. To know that the guys, you know, 
trust me and see me as a leader is huge. I feel like I'm a, you know, lead by example, you know, relatability type leader. You know, I can relate to guys. I get people going with my actions, you know. If you need a rah-rah speech, you know, I'm not really opposed to it. It's not my strong suit, but I'll do it. But as far as overall leadership, I'm the lead by example guy. Did you do it before the SWAC championship game? Did you deliver a, a speech before the team in the locker room? Not before the game. At halftime, I just went around and told our defense that if we get one stop, we're going to win the ball game. And they got the stop we needed, and we took care of the rest. What have you learned the most from the Bulldogs coaching staff? Honestly, it's just my competitiveness and, you know, my overall cerebral mindset when it comes to football. You know, they every offensive coach on our coaching staff is – really a great offensive mind and just to have people like that to bounce ideas off of to learn from you know just to talk football with things like that you know have really helped me a lot are you a film junkie are you always you know in there before anybody else in the film room with the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach yeah they really turned me into a film junkie. you know that's what's really helped my game elevate the most seeing things that other people do seeing things that other defenses are trying to do against you Things of that nature, you know, it's it's big because, you know, the separation is in the preparation, like they say. So if you're prepared for a situation, you're going to be better off than if you're not. Moving quickly towards your last season in college football, what are you working on this summer? And I guess furthermore, what would make next season a successful one for you? I'm always finding things to work on, you know, whether it be the biggest thing or the littlest thing, you know. This summer's really been focusing on just overall speeding up my footwork, getting it a little cleaner because it can still be a little better, and just sharpening every other tool in my in my tool belt, so to speak. Some I've been working, you know, overall strength, speed, and skill-wise. And then uh, for the upcoming season to be successful, I have to say, we have to win another fight championship and win the celebration. But those are the expectations from here on out, and we got to live up to them. Akil, give us a quick scouting report on the team that that's coming back this fall i assume everybody is coming back so tell us what what is the strength of this team you know the strength of this team is our overall brotherhood camaraderie we never let anybody get too far down whether the defense gets scored on or not you know the offense always has their back and the offense is better than the defense has our back so this overall our camaraderie is probably our biggest skill but we had everybody coming back uh, with fast physical team, uh, put up a lot of points, uh, play hard on defense. And I think that, you know, sky's the limit for us. We have to ask you, like, who do you like to watch on Sundays? Like, let's start with when you were a kid growing up, who did you admire at the quarterback position or maybe another position, and who is your favorite player right now? When I was growing up, it would be Peyton Manning and Michael Vick. You know, those are just two guys that I always – looked up to and loved watching. And then uh, as far as today, if I had to go with a favorite player right now, probably be Deshaun Watson. Just, you know, his overall leadership and the way he's able to make plays and make things happen off script. And, uh, of course, Patrick Mahomes, too, Tom Brady. You know, it's a bunch of guys. Over the years, I've learned to appreciate game. And it's hard to have a favorite when there's so many great players in the I had seen an, an article, looked like an interview you'd given uh, regarding social justice. It may have been like earlier this year or even last year. Just speaking to it, 
using your platform? I mean, do you have any plans? Have you have you done anything to kind of follow up on some of the things that you would had mentioned in that article? And what can we do? What can we all do to help bridge the gap? We had a couple more Zoom meetings, you know, as a university and as an athletic department at A&M, just talking about those issues and things like that uh, as far as the follow-up. But uh, things we can all do is just it's, it's all about consistency. You know, we've had waves of heightened social justice. We have waves of things like that. So we have to just continually push it and continually go up. We can't let it stall out and then pick it back up later because it's only going to make it harder. But we have to continue to press the issue, continue to, you know, speak out, continue to point out things that are unjust and do our part to change them. We really enjoyed speaking to you today. Uh, A lot of good points. Congratulations on the awards, the championship season. Good luck going into the fall and uh, moving forward in your future. I know some of our listeners like to follow the guys that we that we interview what are your handles on some of the socials and anybody else you want to shout out well uh you can find me on instagram at aquil underscore glass dot four and then on twitter at aquil underscore glass four and then as far as all the shout outs you know shout out to the whole alabama a&m family all the fans students athletes coaches all that appreciate y'all let's have a great season this year and uh I appreciate you guys for having me. That was a great opportunity. I appreciate speaking with y'all. So moving on, the Chiefs. First, it was Le'Veon Bell. Okay, now he's not on the team anymore, and out of the blue, you know, he comes out with these quotes that he'd never play for Andy Reid again. And this is going back some time, so we're probably late to the party on this, and it's kind of piling on, but so what? What is the guy doing? Who in the league has anything bad to say about Andy Reid? I'm sure he's not a perfect coach. He may have said some things to him that hit home. He's not the player he used to be. He's not as explosive as he once was. If he had been, he would have got a lot more playing time. He would have maybe got a chance in the Super Bowl. Not that it would have made much of a difference, but he would have got some run. But, you know, he talks his way out of Pittsburgh, basically steals money from the Jets, uh, shows up with the Chiefs. I think he's talked his way out of the league, quite frankly. I I, I truly believe that. It's not sour grapes. I I wish it would have worked out. I wanted him to be an asset to the team, but it just didn't work out. And now, basically not on his way out, but well out the door, let's throw, you know, one of the most beloved coaches under the bus, who, oh, by the way, has this huge tree of coaches out there who now are going to – be his uh, Levian Bell's potential new employers, but it ain't happening. I think this is it for the guy. Well, I'm not a homer. I don't root for the Chiefs, but I can't admit that Andy Reid is one of the most likable coaches out there, and everybody loves him. Everybody swears by him. Even Michael Vick, even T.O., they played for him with the Eagles, and that says something. And T.O. doesn't like coaches. Andy Reid was one of his favorite coaches to play for. And he swears by him. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell is done in the league, period, because he hasn't been relevant for the past, what, four years? I mean, ever since he came back, ever since he sat out that 2018 season because of that dispute with the Pittsburgh Steelers, he hasn't been relevant. You're right. He stole the money from the Jets for a couple of years. Then he joined, you know, the Chiefs, and that didn't work out. So he's past his prime, just 
hasn't worked out. It's a shame because Le'Veon Bell was one of the most complete running backs in the NFL when he was with the Steelers. If you could put an axe in your career, this is it. I mean, start bashing Andy Reid, who's one of the most more player-friendly coaches out there. He tries to get the most out of you. And if he felt Le'Veon Bell can help him in that playoff run or in the Super Bowl, he would have played him. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell wasn't the same player. He hasn't been for the past few years, and it's just a shame. I really enjoyed watching that Le'Veon Bell story. He got drafted in the second round. He was like a a two-star recruit who came to Michigan State. He made a name for himself. Well, the guy got too big-headed. He worked his way up, became one of the better running backs. Again, he hasn't been relevant, Lou, and I think this is it for him. He was one of the more unique players. He had a very unique style of kind of picking his way and, and being very deliberate about hitting holes, and it was just very difficult for de- defenses to, to really deal with. And his receiving skills, and yeah, I mean, everything you said, I mean, he's just a, a tremendous player, and it's just one of those stories. I mean, it's just when it goes, it goes, and this, you know, is probably a further evidence or reasons why GMs will continue to look towards younger running backs and not pay veterans, you know, that have been in the league or that are good, closer to 30 than they are 20. It's sad because, you know, there are guys that will play well uh, a little bit later into their careers, but not that many. Uh, Levy and Bell, cautionary tale to all. Sometimes looking a gift horse in the mouth can really do you in. And then, you know, throwing one of the you know best coaches in the league and, you know, most likable coaches in the league under the bus isn't really the best thing to do. All right, so now you've got uh, this situation with Frank Clark. Sometimes you shake your head. I don't know what it's like to walk in his shoes or what it takes to make him feel safe in public, but under what circumstances... Do you a not you know you're not a soldier you're not an agent of the government or you know DEA FBI any sort of intelligence agency whatever what are you doing carrying an Uzi around what situation are you going to get in where it's just so dire you've got to pull out this lethal weapon and just blow everybody away I don't get it now it's still alleged. It was concealed, but, you know, the bag was open, the the officer could see it. He had a similar arrest in March, also in California, two loaded firearms in his possession. He was with somebody else. Gosh, I mean, before the draft, you know, he had his issues at the University of Michigan, domestic violence charge, pled guilty to disorderly conduct, but, you know, he got kicked off the team, right? So the Chiefs knew all this, you know, as far as the domestic stuff before they traded for him. They knew there there were some issues, but in Seattle, I guess he had kind of righted the ship some. I guess he was, you know, kind of being a good dude and everything else, and everything was cool, and now here we are. I just don't understand it. Again, he may have played his last play with with the Chiefs. They, you know, have you seen it with Kareem Hunt? It's just, it's just not good, and it's just unfortunate that that this has to happen, and that players need to feel uh, safe and have to carry firearms to feel safe. Well, stick a fork in him. I think he's done with the Chiefs, but he'll get another shot somewhere else. He's been an important player for the Chiefs ever since they they traded for him. Played for the Seahawks, and he's been, what, three years with the Chiefs, and he helped them win the Super Bowl in 2020. 
So he's been an important player on that defensive line, and he has really lived up and helped them, especially during that Super Bowl run. And But, yeah, I think the Chiefs need to move on. Uh, this is kind of a bad precedence out here, and they, they did it with Kareem Hunt. I think Veach knows what he's doing, and they just have to cut their losses. But there's going to be another team that, that's going to take a chance on him because if he can play in the league, teams are going to give you second, third, fourth chances. It doesn't matter how many times you've been in trouble. The cynic in me is going to say that I don't know that he has lived up to the contract, you know, the $100 million or whatever it was. The, the sack numbers weren't quite there. Now, he had a great run during the playoffs when they won the Super Bowl. It wasn't like he was a bad player on that defensive line, but, you know, again, with that money comes a lot of expectations. So the cynic in me says that this was probably going to be his last year with the team anyway. They were not going to extend that contract or give him, you know, a new contract, you know, what, what, however they, they wanted to term it. It's really just unfortunate. And, you know, for all the good things that, that are happening in the league, unfortunately, when stuff like this happens, it, it, it seems to almost like completely surpassed all the good things that NFL players do. So we should probably talk more about those, but this is just, you know, one of those things. It's the off season. Yeah, it's just we'll have to see how this plays out because if he is actually charged, uh, indicted, you know, what, whatever the, the legal terminology is, yeah, I don't see him lasting with the Chiefs much longer than today. I'm going to defend him a little bit for his on-the-field performances. Obviously, he had that huge year with the Seahawks when he had 13 sacks in 2018, low. But in 2019, he had, what, eight sacks? In 2020, he had six sacks. And then when we're looking at the tackles for loss, 12 in 19, 8 in 2020, a lot of quarterback hits as well. Obviously, when you sign a huge contract like this, I guess a lot of people believe that, hey, you got to get like at least 12 or 15 sacks. But he's never been that type of player. If you look at his numbers, even with the Seahawks, again, one huge year where he recorded 10 tackles for loss and 13 sacks in 2018. Maybe he hasn't been the best player on that defensive line because that title goes to Chris Jones. But overall, I think he has been a good player for the Kansas City Chiefs, in my opinion. Yeah, he's been good, not great. So, yeah, I will give him that. And he had a very good playoffs, you know, the, the Super Bowl season. And then, of course, in the Super Bowl, made some huge plays, knocking down passes and, and putting a lot of pressure on Garoppolo. So I'm not taking anything that away from him. Again, from the cynical side of things, if you just look, you know, strictly analytics, here's what we're paying, here's the production. And unfortunately, you know, with defensive ends and pass rushers, they're always going to look at the sacks first. And if those numbers aren't among the league leaders, you're like, geez, what the hell are we paying for? We could pay, you know, this guy half that money and he might get just as many sacks, maybe a little less, you know, whatever. But I liked what he did for the team. I like his game. But just at this point, with given this, it's not going to be enough to overcome, you know, this particular misstep. I don't know what you call it. Let's move on to our non-football football topic. That's right. The Euro 2 
2020. And as Alex says, he doesn't like the 2020, but we're going to call it that anyway. I wanted to point out one thing, just one thing that I saw yesterday, and this might be the, the just the maybe the soccer nerdness in me, but just there was a game yesterday, Croatia and Scotland, and Luka Modric, he's been on the team for a while, a little bit of an older guy in relative terms. He's probably in his, what, early 30s? I think he's Alex, in his mid-30s. I think he's 35 or 36. He had a play. He made a strike just outside of the box. And you Google it, whatever, Against it was against Scotland. You watch it slow enough, you see him purposely strike the ball with the outside of his right foot so it would just bend around the near post as he takes the shot. And this is like 18, 20 yards you know, away from the goal. It was the most beautiful goal that, I, that I've seen. Now, there probably have been others, and maybe it wasn't, but I just wanted to point that out. Take a look. Luka with a K, Modric for, for Croatia. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. I watched that game, and I was kind of flipping back and forth, and Croatia won 3-1, and they advanced to the next round, the round of 16. It was kind of everything was hanging in the balance because they were 1-1. They were tied at the half, and and then Croatia scored those two goals, so they they gutted it out. One of the more experienced teams here, I would say a very old team, but they were able to get through with their experience. And Modric, I mean, at the World Cup in 2018, he was the best player. Croatia advanced all the way to the finals, and they lost to to France. And now they're trying to repeat that magic during this Euro Cup. And at this point, Lou, if you're looking at, like, Group A, Italy and Wales have advanced. In Group B, it's Belgium and Denmark. In Group C, it's the Netherlands and Austria. In Group D, it's England and Croatia. And right now in Group E, we're taping the show and they're playing right now, it looks like Sweden and Spain are going to advance because Spain needed to win, and apparently they've scored four goals in the second half. We're not watching it right now. And a Spanish player actually missed a penalty kick in the first half, and it was 0-0 at the half. But Spain is pulling out everything that they have, and apparently they've scored four goals in the second half. I think there were some other qualifiers. Is why they Switzerland from Group A. Russia has a chance, right? No, they finished fourth in their group, and apparently they're out. Switzerland has the best shot just because they have four four points, and then Czech Republic also has four points in Group D. So those, okay. I think, are the first candidates when it comes to getting into the round of 16, even though, even though they finished third in their group. I'm looking forward to today's game. Lou, you, you know I'm looking forward to this game because, I mean, France against Portugal is – as good well, as it gets. All the star power, you know. We, you know, obviously Ronaldo plays for for Portugal, and we had kind of recounted Mbappe's coming the face of soccer, and may have already overtaken him. I don't know, but just historically, because Ronaldo is who he is, and he's still playing, he's 36 years old, and still scoring goals at an amazing rate. Yeah, that that matchup has all the star power, and, he, and could you know literally be a semifinal or final, and everybody would take that for sure, right? Well, it would be tough for Portugal to advance because, I mean, they obviously beat Hungary in the first game, 3 to nothing. But against Germany, they didn't look good defensively. I mean, they allowed four goals. They opened it up, decided to attack just as much as Germany, and they just they exposed them. That was the best game of the tournament so far that I've seen. A lot of goals being scored. Germany won that game against 
Portugal 4-2. If they play like that against France, if they open up like that and go and try to attack and, and not, you know, get more people on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, Portugal is going to be in trouble. And they're the defending champions right now of the Euro because they won it in 2016. They beat France in overtime in France, in Paris. And uh, I just think right now, if they play the way they played against Germany, they're in trouble, and I don't see them advancing into the round of 16. Germany's one of those teams, and I guess for people that don't really watch soccer, they're almost like... Kind of like the Patriots. The Patriots, yeah, I was going to say. It's just the team that, you know, they could look, eh, they look okay during the regular season, but you get them like in a tournament, you know, playoff time, it's like they raise their level. The first game, the first game, it's not so much. Now, all of a sudden, you're starting to see, okay, we got to start winning to move on. So that that's one of those teams that you always dangerous, always. I was kind of doubting Spain. They haven't looked good this entire tournament. They're playing their style of ball, but they're not scoring. They're getting the chances, but they're not converting them. Right now, it's again, it's it's France, it's Germany, I guess Italy. Those are the teams that are the favorites. And I just I, I mentioned the Netherlands last week. Netherlands, we I would have to put them. I, I listed listed like seven teams that you know kind of I guess those are the ones to to look for. But yeah, Netherlands definitely one of them. Belgium is the number Belgium one for team sure, yeah. in the entire world, and and obviously they're you know they finished third at the World Cup a couple in, of years. England now. has now again they have not looked great. They've been tortured in their own press, but they have not given up a goal, and it's on their home turf. If they go through, you know the finals are in Wembley Stadium, so you, you got to give them a chance. The Italian team has been a, a nice revelation, especially for me. Just the way they play, they played uh, a lot of their reserve players last game because they had already qualified, and there's a couple of guys there that I could see certainly getting spots in the in the knockout rounds. Uh, a lot of speed with Chiesa. They're kind of a team without, I think we talked about this last week, they don't quite have a finisher. So it's like some of these other teams, you know, Belgium, Lukaku, you know, they've got, they've got him. They've got, you know, Portugal has, um, has Ronaldo. You know, you talked about Mbappe. You know, all these teams seem to have like that guy that is going, somehow going to find a way to, to play whereas with the Italians you don't know where it's coming from and sometimes that's a bad thing because you got to have that guy right to to win it all so I'm not sure who that guy is going to be if he emerges but uh, I'm certainly biased there a little cautionary tale though for all those teams that won three games at the group stage you don't want to peak too early and this goes for Italy this goes for Belgium this goes for the Netherlands so maybe there's something in terms of England England hasn't peaked they haven't played that well. And, again, they are getting killed because I guess people expected a lot more out of them. But they are winning. I mean, England was able to get first place in their group, which had Croatia, Czech Republic, and Scotland there. And I think that England, because you mentioned the final is going to be held there. The semifinal games, both of them, are going to be at Wembley Stadium in London. So it gives them the kind of that home turf territory when it matters the most. So watch out for England because I do think they, they do have those finishers. They do have a strong defense because they haven't allowed a single goal yet. And they might peak at the right time. I guess before before we get out of here, 
I don't know if it was really an NFL story, but more like a like a human interest story. Carl Nassib came out earlier this week and announced that you know he he was a gay player, and he's the first active player in the NFL to come out as gay. I don't know that he really did this for himself. I know he didn't do this for himself. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. I remember, I mean, Pennsylvania, he played at Penn State. You know, this was just a, a really good dude. And um, it's been overwhelmingly positive as far as the comments that have come since he made his announcement, which is good. But I think it's more so, you got to give him a, a lot of credit for basically doing something he didn't have to do, but not so much for him or the league, but other people, I mean, especially younger kids that are having issues with this coming out, whether to their parents or to other loved ones, their friends, you know, schoolmates, you know, whatever it happens to be, it just gives them that one more, hey, this is okay. This is who I am. I don't have to be fearful of the, the repercussions. So I thought that was a really cool thing that, that he did. And then making a large donation to the Trevor Project, which is to uh, help LGBTQ plus people uh, with, you know, suicide, helping them uh, with suicide and not, you know, obviously prevention of suicide. But I thought that was a, a really selfless thing that, that Carl Nassib did. I hope he's going to be a trendsetter for other athletes out there. And I'm talking about basketball players and hockey players and soccer players and football players. I just, I hope that this is the start of something and other players will also follow suit just looking at him and like you mentioned there has been a, a positive reaction so I hope that you know we're able to have more players that are willing to come out in time yeah he's he's certainly a trendsetter and he didn't have to do it but he decided to come out and just reveal who he actually is also another story I guess the Detroit Pistons got the number one overall pick in the NBA draft and I had to go back. I thought Isaiah Thomas was the number one overall pick, but apparently he was the number two overall pick. And the last time the Pistons had a first overall pick, it was back in 1970. And do you know who they chose with that pick? I'm going to say... 1970, Lou. Dave Bing. Close. It's Bob Lanier. <laughs> Oh, okay, sure. St. Bonaventure, sure. Bob Lanier, uh, yeah. he, was, he was a center, and he was yeah, a I think very maybe, good player. I think, I think Bing may have come out before that. He was from Syracuse, but yeah. That's, I mean, back in the day when the centers were all, yeah, that's what the league was all about. I mean, obviously the game's changed tremendously, but like every team had a big dude, and he wasn't quite as big, but man, he had that lefty shot. He could take, you know, take the bigger guys off the dribble. Yeah, he was a really cool player. That's a good one. I was wondering if the Pistons had a number one overall pick before that, and I had to go way back. I mean, Bob Lanier was the last time that the Pistons had that number one pick, and I guess Kate Cunningham apparently is the favorite to be the number one overall pick, the guard slash forward out of Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, yeah, because he was, he was I, I think, the number one recruit 
coming out uh, last year. I don't know if it was a big surprise that he chose Oklahoma State. It was, you know, an odd choice. You don't normally see that happen. But more and more of these kids that are one duns and whatever, yeah, they're just making di- different types of choices, whether it's the G League. I think there's a, a G League player that's rated uh, in the top five and will probably go in the top five of the NBA draft. So, um, yeah, kudos to the Detroit Pistons. Jalen Rose was very happy last night with, as they did the lottery and was pulling for it, and he got it. Uh, ben Wallace was their representative, so a lot of Detroit in the house and then also Detroit basketball in the house. So shout out, Detroit. So we've talked about the Euro. We've talked about the NBA draft. I guess we got to catch up on our Major League Baseball news, and we got to talk about the NHL draft as well. The Not today, though. Next week. <laughs> but, you know, the Stanley Cup Finals will happen next week, and, you know, it looks like it's going to be like the Tampa Bay Lightning. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Yeah, Vegas that's, is pulling. Yeah. Vegas is pulling, but Montreal is, I think they've got a lead in that series. So. Yeah, yep. So, yeah, I mean, a team that was, there was, I don't know, a bunch of teams that didn't make the playoffs had more wins than them. I mean, they were certainly kind of backed their way in, and here they are, like a game away from making the Stanley Cup final. So. Lou, goalies matter in the playoffs. And oh, when you yeah. have Carey Price in goal, you've got a shot. So to speak. That was a pun. Good one, Alex. All right, gang, that is going to do it for this week. We were all over the place. Yeah, this was, this was good. Till next week, he's Alex. I'm Lou. Peace.